0: The way education, the education system is structured, when I think of it, um, it's been en- engineered to basically produce the kind of skills and people you need for an industrial world, Absolutely. right? So you sit in ranks, in lines like a production line yeah right you so can do this, this yeah exactly do. exactly right mm-hmm. you know you back to the uh, you know uh, uh, Ford kind of uh, team model where okay everything is in boxes that's mm-hmm. your box you need to kind of do this and then when you're done you can go that uh, yeah the world has largely evolved but the education has is still structured to serve that old world mm-hmm.
1: Hello, friends and family. My name is Grey Jabez, and this is another episode of the Grey Ave podcast. First of all, I have to thank you for taking this time, this point of time in your life, and giving it up to this podcast. And I hope I will make this worth it for you. And for those of you who are listening to the Grey Ave for the first time, you can actually find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify iTunes, SoundCloud, and pretty much all the podcasting platforms, which will make a much better listening experience for you, because you can do this with an app or with a desktop version. But if you're listening from the, web, uh, from the website, uh, you can also do that and download the podcast and listen to them at whatever time of your convenience. So today, I have a very, very special podcast episode, which I think will go off as one of the best episodes of 2019 it already is one of my favorites out of all the podcasts that I've recorded this year so our guest today is Mamadou Jim Touré um, he is the founder and CEO of Ubuntu group focused on advisory and investment activities across industries and aimed at supporting firms in Africa achieving a scalable and sustainable growth on the continent the Ubuntu group believes Africa can leapfrog for the purpose, we design disruptive and innovative structuring and investment schemes that help deliver stronger results on the triple bottom line people, profit, planet. Over the past 20 years, Mamadou was involved in transactions in 26 African countries, reaching a total value close to $30 billion, mergers and acquisitions, project finance, investing structuring, government advisory, etc. Mamadou is also the founder and chairman of two uh, of Africa 2.0, an nonprofit organization gathering a community of young leaders from Africa and the diaspora. Africa 2.0 now has a footprint in the five countries in Africa and around the world. The organization now gathers more than 1,000 emerging leaders active in the transformation of Africa. In 2014, Mamadou was ranked as one of the top 10 most powerful men in Africa by Forbes magazine so Mamadou is a hell of a guy for sure and um, he's a visionary that I can tell you and you will be able to notice this as you listen to the podcast so he considers himself a human being with a soft heart for Africa Um, something along those lines which you'll be able to get from the podcast as well. But basically, we discussed his uh, work experience. Like I said, he worked as managing director for General Electric before. He has worked for the World Bank and a couple of other companies. So we discussed that. And then we jumped into Africa 2.0. There's a very, very fascinating story behind that and how it got started. So he's a very good storyteller, which um, you guys will be able to enjoy that as well. And we jumped into his educational background, which led us to talk about the education system. Uh, and we also talked about work. We spent quite a bit of time on, uh, on that, which I think was very, very important and integral for this conversation. We talked about values in technology, how to build, how to embed values as we build technology, like technologies like AI and etc. So that is actually takes me to episode 92 as well that I did with Joey Bualamuini from MIT, uh, we actually recorded a podcast specifically on that subject as you guys know that she is she created a company and technology to be able to bring uh, to fight algorithmic bias in technology which is a very important uh, matter and we talk about society and uh, critical thinking Uh, we talk about decentralization and all sorts of stuff very very philosophical episode which i really enjoyed very much because Mamadou has his own way of thinking. I don't think you get to meet a lot of people like him. So without taking too much of your time, I appreciate you for being here and I hope I'm pretty much sure that you're gonna enjoy this episode. Uh, remember to rate the GreyF podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That will be very much appreciated. And share this with your friends and family on social media. I'll see you at the end of the episode
0: enjoy my conversation with mamadou think so mamadou kujim toure yeah i would say uh mamadou um kujim is um how would i put that it's uh let's say my uh n- native name if i may like a clan uh, name uh, yeah from uh, from the part of uh, cameroon where where my mother is from and uh toure is my surname okay so where are you from cameroon or ivory coast cameroon
1: Oh, so you're uh, I was born
0: in Cameroon, yeah. You use your Cameroon passport? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're
1: based in Ivory Coast.
0: Yeah, I'm between um, Ivory Coast and Europe, right? So I right. uh, spend a lot of time in um, Europe and Ivory Coast, yeah. So, I mean, with your work experience,
1: could you just share a little bit of that, what you've been doing
0: to yeah. this point? So look, I think before I uh, started my own uh, venture business, I used to be managing director for GE, um, mm-hmm. in charge of uh, investment and project finance uh, for Africa, covering um, um, you know the activities and uh, investment of the groups, uh, driving uh, sales through uh, financial innovation for the different companies of the group. So power, water, mining, oil and gas, transportation, mm-hmm. healthcare, Aviation, um, um, etc. So um, basically, uh, you know, we it was a, it was quite an interesting experience because you know G is a technology company, right? So uh, it was mostly industrial technology, more B two B kind of model, um, and uh, you know, looking at um, innovating, financing products or investing in. Uh, uh, some key projects that could drive the growth of the group um, Across Africa, right? Um, and at the time um, It was quite interesting because GE was very bullish on the continent mm. um, So uh, we could work um, and um, you know across so many countries so many projects I think uh, um, From a project size um uh, across the continent uh, you know from railways to you know locomotives manufacturing to uh, you know power plants aircraft etc uh, um, yeah it was a pipeline close to 15 billion dollars oh wow yeah uh, in terms know. of project size not equipment only uh, oh, yeah
1: okay oh yeah. okay project size yeah. Wow. across the continent yeah. in
0: my household we used to have a ge fridge a refrigerator. yeah so yeah. when i think of general electric yeah I you think, think of consumer like, right exactly yeah consumer. i think the position in africa was not so much consumer except for healthcare although mm-hmm. healthcare was more like for practitioners yeah it was more like industrial um industrial equipment technologies uh for for our clients right so yeah uh high-end locomotives high-end uh, um turbines and, um, you know, aircraft. Uh, yeah, so basically, uh, you know, as, as an example, for instance, of uh, the things uh, I did, uh, we were, for instance, in, um, in South Africa, we were bidding um, to provide uh, close to, you know, uh, 400 locomotives uh, to kind of renew the locomotive spark uh, mm. of, uh, of Transnet. Uh, which is one of the largest integrated transport and logistics companies in the world, actually. Mm, that's the trains, right? The yeah, trend. yeah, train, I mean, Transcend to train ports, uh, multimodal, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, one of the key things that uh, I designed was okay, uh, uh, the, the best way, and there was a, a request also for, for local content, right? So what uh, we worked on with my team was to design a whole vehicle where um, not only would provide the locomotives, but we would use also um, um, uh, the proceeds of the sale, as we were building, to kind of set up uh, uh, an investment vehicle um, that uh, would, because the locomotives, a portion would need to be manufactured locally, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, in order to strengthen the whole local ecosystem, uh, because there were not necessarily the level of capacity in terms of building all the parts, etc., locally. So we decided to uh, uh, design uh, an investment vehicle that would, uh, do both capacity building technical assistance and investing in the SMEs that will be part of the supply chain so that we kind of keep the global standards but also develop the local economy. So those are the kind of things that we're doing in terms of uh, how do you engineer uh, leveraging on finance in order to uh, provide uh, solutions for the country and uh, that would match also the, the company's growth.
1: Awesome. So I and interviewed Maya uh,
0: uh, Bujinovic before. I don't know if you know her. I've, yeah, I mean uh, we haven't met uh, personally, but yeah, oh, okay. uh, yeah, I know her. Uh, and before GE, I was with uh, the World Bank, okay. right? Uh, we have IFC in particular, um, and with IFC, I was in charge of investment. Uh, I was in the infrastructure team initially. That kind of split to, um, and then had a uh worked in uh in charge of our uh, investment in telecoms media and technologies for mm-hmm. africa uh, and that was quite a you know i was um there for for, for close to eight years um, and that was a very interesting times because it was a uh, uh, the boom of the mobile industry right um and uh you know and the whole um, emergence of the whole convergence you know content uh, device and so on so Uh, fiber optical and um, yeah so I have a passion for technology Mm -hmm. right Uh, because I think that's the main driver that uh, could help uh, humanity transcend his current its current uh, uh, status right Uh, and of course a passion for development um, um, which is one of the reason at the time I joined uh, the World Bank although as I I evolved I realized that uh, our views were not completely aligned, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's interesting. Uh, um, and uh, it's actually during those days that uh, um, I thought it was necessary, uh, you know, to uh, to set up, uh, um, you know, a collective that would gather people from around the world uh, with um, African descent, and uh, of course, people in Africa, to start thinking around. Uh, an alternative way for development where the the development agenda and uh, the growth of the continent could be designed by this generation and for mm-hmm. which the, this generation of young emerging leaders would commit for the next 20 30 years to actually implement that vision so i kind of had a double life was uh, you know during the day i was this uh, banker um you know, um, investing in projects that would help development. And uh, after work, I would basically coordinate a whole global network um, and mobilizing a whole global network of uh, young thinkers um, and, uh, um, I mean, forward thinkers, doers uh, that believe in uh, uh, the development of the continent um, Mm -hmm. from wherever they are and uh, basically coordinate this collective of people to set up a vision for Africa. Yes. So, um, you know, and uh, the f- the funny thing is uh, it started a bit as a joke because um, in, uh, you know, the year before the, the World Cup uh, in South Africa, so it was 20, 2009 and, you know, early 2010, many of the people, because I'd been traveling around the world uh, uh, for assignments, business, and so on, and, you know, people knew that at the time, you know, I was kind of between... South Africa and Washington which was the headquarters uh, where I was spending a lot of time um, and they said, look we're coming for the World Cup uh, mm-hmm. can you get us tickets can you find us accommodation uh, so my phone kept on ringing from all all parts and I said, guys okay fine 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 but I'm not a travel agent you know yeah you know? and uh, and then I thought, okay look if we're gonna have and many of them was powerf- were powerful in their own rights you mm-hmm. know the you know entrepreneurs business people, Advisors to ministers, you know, some in France, some in the UK, Sweden, US, Nigeria, you name it, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so when I look at all those people who want to come here, I'm like, are, are we just going to come and watch football, mm-hmm. right? And then I thought, okay, why don't not we leverage on the presence of so many important people, uh, critical guys that I have in, this, in my network and who need to come here to basically organize... Um, a mini forum in the margin of the games, right? So we can have fun, but at the same time, we can start working together and discussing about how do we make this continent a better place, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And how do we take our responsibility to effectively address the key issues that uh, Africa is facing Um, and uh, around a discussion platform uh, where you know, in between games, then we'd also do something very constructive. So then we did two, we did a, a retreat, right? And uh, during between the semifinal and the final of the mm. World Cup, right? So we call it the Africa Leadership Retreat. And um, so people actually really love the concept, right? So I guess they love the concept because, of course, many were quite passionate about the topic, yeah. but also because they could justify the flight. Absolutely. <laughs> and <laughs> <it's fine. laughs> and uh, justify where they're coming, so we were yeah. like, okay, look, I mean, you know, if you can kill two birds in one stone, why not? Uh, and um, so for, for a week, and we had, like, very strong support, uh, Nelson, um, I mean, um, uh, Grasse Michelle, uh, Nelson Mandela, um, you know, uh, security uh, stock, stock exchange. Mm uh and uh, many leaders so you know from goldman sachs from different places you know we also had uh, trevor manuel who came and speak um um you know so a lot of head of big banks uh, uh, around this topic because we you know, from uh, both international and um, african so we managed to pull together a very very solid lineup of leaders mm. and then the point was if we had to change Africa, what were the 10 priority topics that we'll have to address? Yeah. Right, so, uh, and basically, then the conversation started, the brainstorming started, so every day over six days, we were like, so, we did Durban, Cape Town, Durban. Mm-hmm. Right, so the two semifinals, Cape Town, Durban, so before the semifinals, then we'd have those meetings. Um, and the day after, um, you know, and uh, each, things at its particular topic, so, and after, and then we, the last event was the day after the, the final of the, the World Cup where, you know, Spain won, Yeah. and the interesting thing was, uh, and then we said, okay, we came with the 10 priorities, right, which were, you know, rebranding Africa, um, um, knowledge-based society. Uh, Upgrade infrastructure, entrepreneurship, ecosystems, uh, governance, um, uh, you know, uh, also, uh, of course, uh, uh, different key other topics and, you know, out of those 10 pillars, we said, okay, but now that we've identified them and what needs to be done, how are we going to go about it, right? And then we said it's best to set up a vehicle, an entity which role would be to drive that vision in Mm. order to address those issues, right? So, uh, and as we did that, um, uh, we said, okay, what name should we, we we need a foundation, we need, you know, uh, and then, uh, so we had to come up with a name, so, Mm. and I said, look, if we're building the next version of Africa, and because I was more of a, from the tech environment, right, Uh, tech investor kind of thing, and uh, I said, like, yeah, okay, let's call it Africa 2.0. Yeah. Right. And everybody loved it. So we, we decided to call it Africa 2.0. And uh, and then, you know, we had to register, set up the foundation. So that was happening in parallel of my daily job at the World Bank at IFC, okay. you know, traveling a- across and, uh, and having to manage that. And what was even more interesting is because there were so many people from around the world, so we had to set up chapters, right, uh, mm-hmm. in order to kind of uh, address all those things. So, and we positioned as a think tank, a think tank that does things. Right. right, um, and to drive that vision. So, a year later, we co- I had to, you know, during that time, we had to coordinate all those people to say, No, it's not because the world cup is over and that you had your fun. That, mm-hmm. that, the, no, the, the real work begins now. And actually, they were all committed, they stayed committed to actually work towards it. So, we had like working groups. It was very much uh, an interesting uh, open source project but for uh, to draft a vision, mm-hmm. right, and to draft a roadmap but with leveraging on people around the world on yeah. their skills, etc., and they would contribute. So instead of building a software, who yeah. were building change, you know, and, um, and a manifesto. So that manifesto, you had so many contributors um, and um, which was basically condensing the key proposals and roadmap to effectively make it happen. So we went actually to present it in Davos Mm -hmm. at the World Economic Forum, which was official, and the African Union also. Um, And uh, funny enough, uh, one one key rationale about those young leaders driving change, uh, we used the example of the World Cup and the winner of the World Cup, which was Spain at the time, Mm -hmm. right? So if you look at Spain, what was very particular around that team is that it's the same team over the past 10 years, uh, about 10 years then, is that what happened is that uh, 10, 15 years before the 2010, uh, Spain realized that they had like the second best or if not the best championship in the world, but they had never won the World Cup, right? Oh, okay, oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah right, so, and what they did um, in the late 90s was to kind of go across the country and take kids between 11 and 14 uh and select the best of them and start building kind of a a collective consciousness and vision and told them that look you we're gonna groom you together now Mm -hmm. uh and you are the generation that uh, will win the world cup yeah right and uh, so as they grew they became best friends worked together and grew with that with that in mind right and it's, it used to be called the Chavi Project, if you will, right? Right. So and it point, was a conscious project. It, it wasn't conscious, by yeah, chance. Yeah, yet. it wasn't by chance, right? So the point of getting all those young leaders, yeah, from you know young professionals, whatever, and say, look, we're going to build a vision and we take the uh, the responsibility to drive it mm-hmm. uh, over time in our respective field um, and commit to kind of um, bring growth, enlightenment, uh, you know, in the region, right? So that's how 2.0 got going. And a few years later, funny enough, after we presented our vision and a vision for Africa, the African Union uh, decided to launch uh, Africa Vision 2063, which yeah. was a 50-year vision. So for us, it was a major victory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows, um, and that's why it's interesting when you even think of crypto, mm-hmm. right? Is that a lot of things uh, starts from the start from the margin, right? Change uh, rarely happened from the center, right? Yeah. Uh, and the same the same way. If you think of hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. It started in underground New York. Uh, even you know, house music started in, you know underground Detroit. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, and um, and point was, um, and that's also why I'm very fascinated by um, blockchain in particular and the way it started. Right? You know, from 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 the fringes uh, um, to the center in terms of earthquake that is happening where you really now have people who experience the world in a certain way and who are the ones who really feel the challenges. That That is a very good point, yeah. Really feel the challenge that it posed and because they they don't rely on the center entity to affect that change for them, they build the change, right? And we were building that mindset, so that's uh, that's why you know, um, uh, you know, when I got familiar to blockchain, I said, yeah, I belong, Mm -hmm. right? I belong because it's really the way I think, and uh, uh, and uh, the kind of it's a movement. You know, I. I I said this to so many people that you
1: know if you have lived in Africa and when you come across blockchain, it's more likely that it, it immediately makes sense. Even the concept of crypto, it, it doesn't take you a very yeah, long time to understand. Yeah, it doesn't take you long time
0: to understand, and uh, yeah. yeah, so, and that's 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 where I think it's a it's a powerful thing, you know, um, and uh, and that's also why I realized that okay, um, how do we how can we have impact? Right. Um and for me impact and and driving change and um you know, raising consciousness is something that has always been part of my uh way of life and you know, and I, when I joined the World Bank I was really hoping that of this whole develop and then I realized uh uh-huh. uh mm-hmm. that's <laughs> and, you know, not where it is. That's not it's not let's let's let me be politically correct. Yeah. It's far from enough. Right. <laughs> right? Uh and uh and it has a lot of flows. So I said, okay, look, you know, we need to take our destiny at hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the beauty of blockchain is the, the, the whole decentralized model gets people to take ownership of their own destiny, right? It's a yeah. very empowering tool, right? So, um, and just to come back to like my, my background, whatever, before the World Bank, and that's an interesting thing, before the World Bank, I was, uh, uh, I was in Paris you know I grew up I mean born in Cameron grew up in uh, Europe in Paris in particular um, uh, where
1: how is it? how come your English is so good and you I, I read that you speak about five or six languages I don't
0: know um, <laughs> I, I, guess, uh, <laughs> I guess I guess I might I got a good ear I don't know but yeah on uh, practice I guess hard work too uh, but um, yeah so you know I was in investment banking in Paris right so mm-hmm. uh, doing um, you know, mergers and acquisitions, government advisory, project finance, working with all the multinationals around the world uh, who had interest in emerging markets. Um, and I decided also to focus on Africa in particular at the time. And uh, uh, the interesting thing was, again, at that time, I was, I had a lot of chance, uh, I was quite lucky because it was a time where um, most of my friends actually, I, I came from those typical, you know, Ivy League schools, and um, you know, did my master in finance, etc. And most of my friends, of course, went to London and New York, mm. Goldman, Lemon, J.P. Morgan, of course, etc. And then, I, and uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm.
1: Right?
0: I was like, if I'm gonna go there, I'm gonna be a number cruncher, yeah. a, in the in a big machine, Absolutely. right? Um, and luckily, with BNP Paribas, there was like this Africa division right or oh, emerging markets with an Africa focus etc so I said okay why not do emerging markets and may do a bit more of Africa while I can and it, it got very interesting because it exposed me very young you know at 23 24 25 to some very powerful decision makers that mm-hmm. I was basically help I mean business guys that I was helping structure their deals right, right. we talk about Nagib Saveris from Rascom. we talk mm-hmm. about Mo Ibrahim from uh you know, who Bill Seltel, you talk about Ali Kodangote, yes. right, whom I advise on his cement plant and uh, his first cement plant, etc. So, I was extremely lucky, right, to, uh, with uh, my little age, if I may, and in a very flat structure, because our structure was flat, to basically be exposed to key governments and help them in the privatization process, Yeah. Uh, or sector restructuring, or, key business guys that were like icons, either in the making or confirmed icons, right? Mm-hmm. And then I could see their whole business strategy, their group, and advise them and this and that, and then say this structure like this, and it, they should, if they would merge or sell, right? So there is there is hope, you know? Yeah. Um, um, and, um, and I learned a lot, I learned a lot with them. Uh, um, you know, and... Um, and the funny thing is, uh, you know, when I told my mom that, you know, I got headhunted to uh, join the, um, you know, the World Bank IFC. Uh, and then I would have to leave Europe, mm. right, to, to, uh, to go uh, to Africa after such a long time. She said, oh, now you're going to finally realize your dream. Because, you know, when you arrived in France, uh, in Paris, she said, you know, mom, this place is quite cool. You know, but, and when I, and, and, and you, and uh, she said, you told me when you grow up, you want to go back to Africa and make sure it looks just like this, yeah. you know, and... Uh, and <laughs> so it has that, always been there, right? Yes, and now that you tell me you joined the World Bank and um, and going back, you're like, okay, so you've been consistent, son, you yeah. know? Like, I don't know, but I'll try my best, if, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and for your question on uh, language or whatever, I think also the other element uh, where I was quite lucky was... Um, um, I was, uh, you know, when I was 14, so I, I, I had been in France for a few years, uh, and I was in a junior high school in the suburb, you know, the suburb are generally poor, yeah. uh, compared to urban areas, not like in the U.S. where, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a bit inverted in, Fran- in Paris in particular, right, okay. so, so under-favored areas are in the suburb, and people, the wealthy guys live in the city, right? Oh, so it's like Cape Town, also, it's Yeah, obviously. yeah, right, so, um, And uh, funny enough, uh, one day the principal called my uh, called my parents to discuss my case, and I was a bit worried. Uh, (laughs) And um, so he told my parents, uh, "Look, um, yeah, we don't think your kid should stay in this school." Mm -hmm. So my mom said, "I don't, I don't understand. Why do you want to fire him? He's top of his class. Mm -hmm. Okay, he's very turbulent, which I was, you know, like extremely. uh, I was a troublemaker to a certain extent." but you can't really fire him for that. And uh, so she thought, okay, maybe the guy is racist or something, mm. you know, and, uh, and the principal said, no, ma'am, you know, there nothing, we don't want to fire him, but we think your kid is extremely bored mm. and you might lose him. So it's best to send him to, there's this school in Paris called uh, louis um where he might be more at ease because it's a, it's a highly competitive environment with, uh, you know, uh, like basically we school. <laughs> kind of thing, right? So I, I I didn't really know much about that school, so and the, and the, and the principal said you should have him try and uh, and uh, it might be a better environment for him. Mm-hmm. Actually, I did try, and you know I got they picked the, the, the pick me, yeah, right. So and um, yeah, and I was surrounded by. Um, by whiskeys, That was really the cheese. <laughs> but did you thought of yourself as a, a whiskey while you were? No, no, up? no. I thought of myself as a cool guy. Yeah, of <laughs> right. a cool guy. that was playing soccer and basketball. That's you know, I happened to be just lucky to not work too hard to have great to, marks, but right, uh, right, not really a whiskey at all. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it was quite uh, quite an experience because. All those guys were like they would have probably done the program during the summer holiday, and then mm. you kind of like you learning. They they're just just doing revisions exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but it was nice because the, you it, it was my first really global environment, right? Mm-hmm. So you had uh, kids coming from Russia, Sweden, Romania, US, from different places. Uh, um, I was the only black black kid there. Um, and it was like very enriching and uh, and then of course no wonder I think probably Two out of five or three out of five Nobel Prize come from that school French oh, okay. Nobel Prize come from that school Oh, wow. Yeah, I think yeah, so I would have gone somehow at some point to that school So so it was great and then it even comforted me to the fact that I had a responsibility right Because right. I was extremely lucky uh, again, mm-hmm. to kind of be exposed to those kind of environments. Did you, you have to be working hard though? Definitely. Man. Right. right. It wasn't an easy anymore. The holiday was over. So <laughs> I, I thought I was on holiday the first quarter. I, I thought I was still on holiday and that I would just have to kind of swing my way in. And mm-hmm. like, the first exams were like, what the hell, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with what we had in, oh. uh, because in our, you know, you know, in our notebooks, and I'm like, but what's the point? It was just that they take it two, three, four levels right. beyond, right? Okay. So you clearly have to work and do your own research and do some analysis and really think three, four, five steps. So, mm-hmm. but it taught me a lot. It taught me yeah. a lot. So first quarter, I had like to kind of readjust and I understood the concept of working hard. And yeah. since that day, <laughs> I haven't stopped working. Nice. I can tell you that. No more football since then. No, yeah. still some football, but no more TV, that's for sure. And <laughs> no? that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I turned, it, it made me, um, it turned me into a workaholic, but out of passion. You probably right? grow, grow up quite quickly as well when you get exposed. Yeah, it fast-tracks your growth, right? Yeah. Uh, first, because you're highly exposed to different cultures, values, etc., but all in a very, very constructive way because... Mm-hmm. Um, Deep and you know, uh, and that was that was great. And also, many of my best friends up to date are, are from that school, right? Okay. So from high school. So um, it's been yeah. it's been yeah. a a very unique unique experience, uh, I have to say. And uh, yeah, and I and I learned that I can't just rely on my uh, <laughs> on my sixth sense if I can call it this yeah. way. Um, yeah, and um, and also I developed a passion. I started also doing a lot of research about, you know, um, Africa culture, about where I was coming from. You know, uh, there was also a, you know a mix of adolescence identity positioning in that mix, mm-hmm. right? While at the same time looking for what will be, what should be your contribution to humanity, right? Yeah, that's, that was really the mindset I started putting myself in, and. Um, and I enjoyed every minute because it was a free flow. So you don't work hard because they give you a lot of work. Mm. No. You work hard because you know the test they're going to give has nothing to do yes. with what you've learned. So, um, and, but at the same time, also, th- there was so much freedom. Mm. It wasn't, you know, if you don't come to class, that's your problem. Of course. Right? So, so they, won't, they won't call your dad or your mom because they didn't see you today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, the model for me was perfect. Self responsible. Self responsibility. Right? Yeah. right? Uh, and it's like it's the funny thing is that it's where the world is now going to more and more, right? You know, uh, where, uh, where people basically work from home, where things are decentralized, etc. Yes. But I've been into that space, into that mindset since, Wait, I, was, very long since time. I was 14, right? right? And that was a challenge for me to adjust and adapt in the corporate world because I was like, right. I don't need a cup on my back. Yes. I don't need to tell you where I was. Just this is the, here is the work, right? And yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a, a adjustment challenge for me mm-hmm. uh, to kind of have all those barriers uh, and those controlled levels uh, because I was like, I'm not a child.
1: Mm, I know <laughs> right? what to do. I know what
0: to do, mm. right? It's not about, um, you know, me kind of ticking a, uh, you know, box, yeah, a box or, or, or showing up uh, for for you, you know. Mm. So the way I've been molded um, made me very much of an outcast all my career, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, but luckily for me, I was delivering results, right? Um, but, and that's also why, you know, when um, I was, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, with IFC, World Bank, or even GE, I, I, I felt that need to kind of get involved into something else that was, at least for me, bigger, mm-hmm. um, and that was serving a greater purpose. Uh, and also because whatever they were asking me to do, I think I was doing it in less time, right, right? Um, and then so that I got more time to kind of do things of that things. were meaningful for me or for yeah. others, right, so uh, so it's interesting to see this whole decentralized world taking back, coming coming to, to fruition, right, It right. feel like sometimes I feel like I was born a bit too early kind of yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that before I die I'm seeing what I thought should happen, yes. you know um and uh yeah and that's that's why also blockchain is very exciting is that it's a very collaborative environment um where you know people validate blocks etc where you know you can have a whole decentralized organization mm. where you know where everybody is a bit of everywhere but they're just accountable it's for all about the work yeah right they are yeah. accountable for doing what they have to do right yes. and this is more my style this is more what i believe should be right uh, but of course, it takes also a level of sense of responsibility um, from the population and from the people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but it's also, it will probably implies to change the education system. Absolutely.
1: I can't wait for that moment. Yeah.
0: And um, and that's another thing where the mammoth is a very mm-hmm. tough one to crack, right? Or to at least to address education. but. The way education, the education system is structured, when I think of it, um, it's been en- engineered to basically produce the kind of skills and people you need for an industrial world, Absolutely. right? So you sit in ranks, in lines. Like a production line. Yeah. Right. You so can do this. this yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you're back to the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Ford kind of uh, team model where, okay, everything is in boxes. Mm-hmm. That's your box. You need to kind of do this. And then when you're done, you can go that. Yeah. The world has largely evolved, but the education has is still structured to serve that old world. Right. Yes. That is very much industrial. Not that we don't need industrialism, but it's just that it's changed, right? With three D printing, with all those things, um, the, the 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 workforce we're going to need needs to, especially also with artificial intelligence, with robots coming, all those tasks mm. that we were basically uh, formatted to perform will be done by other people. So yes. that's where creativity, freedom, collaboration. Etc., should be new values and ethics, ethics, and it's a very important one. Um, in school, they'll teach you geography, history, and so on, but there's not enough put into preparing you to be a citizen. Yes. Right? Uh, preparing you about what is your contribution to society and what is good and what is not. So, I guess they've relied on church and mosques, etc., to do it. But also, that's, that also has, is now facing its limits, right? Especially from the African perspective,
1: I think you, we need to generate a certain sense of what it means to be an African career yeah, responsibility. Exactly, and right? It's so, not being there.
0: And, uh, and I think all those parts uh, and the whole creativity part, the whole. Um, and this is where I think uh, uh, education is, is, is made to prepare. The next generation to kind of insert and also build mm. their society, right? Uh, and I think as such, then some changes will probably be needed. And might, what might happen also is that again, from the from the outskirts of this whole thing, some new forms will emerge. And that's why also you have private education coming now. The problem of private education, as it is, is if you don't have money, you're screwed. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah, so. Um, and that needs to also change. But um, again, the beauty of internet, that might be where the new form of education comes, right? Mm. So when you think of it, and uh, you have now with, uh, uh, you know, MIT is now providing free courses Mm. online, you know, you have Coursera, that uh, it's all those things where, with the era of information, knowledge becomes a commodity. Right, where you don't necessarily need to have gone to the best school anymore to kind of learn something right and uh, and I think where you, you now have those tools, and um it's quite critical and it's a very unique opportunity for people in emerging markets right mm-hmm. in you know Southeast Asia in Latin America and Africa, where okay, knowledge is no longer. The exclusivity of a minority, yeah, right. You can go online and learn stuff for yourself, right? I have to say, I never attended a blockchain class. Mm-hmm. Did you? No. I mean, I, I'm from someone who, I, I, I after high school, I dropped out of college, and I've learned
1: a lot of things from MIT and other sources. Just but I mean, even back then,
0: I had to hack a lot of stuff to get it. Exactly. Now you don't even have to do that anymore. It's, it's so public information. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So. If you had to hack stuff, it means that you've learned to code by yourself. Too, exactly right, yeah. and this is the new generation. This is really uh, what we need to empower people around, right? Um, while using, you know, education more in building people that are gonna build a new world, but with with values, because when you think of artificial intelligence and even hacking, right? Mm-hmm. So you have white hackers and black hackers. not sure why they call black hackers the wrong one, but it's another topic, we'll get back (laughs) to that another day. But point is, if you ensure um, that people's values are correct, then you, you keep that framework where there's gonna be a constructive working environment. Right, and I think that's the big, because with artificial intelligence, if you don't have the right level of ethics, You can screw people absolutely big time, right? And that's our biggest risk. How do we put values into programming, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, and all those things. So and all that I think is going to be the the real critical questions that we'll have to ask ourselves. So, yeah. There's a book with
1: uh, I think probably I've read it before uh, by Nick Bostrom. It's called. it's an artificial intelligence book basically, mm-hmm. yeah. It said super intelligence, that's the title. So there is that question about how do we instill uh, you know, more, more morality into AI, for example. My thought is if you have enough people, I mean we can agree that most people have good intentions, right? Most people are good, we can agree on that. Only a few usually have bad intentions. But if you have more people getting involved in technology like AI, you eliminate the number of bad people involved, much like if you think of how the Bitcoin network is set up. You, you, it's difficult to have a 51% attack because most partici- um, network participants don't have malicious intentions.
0: Okay. Um, I, I'll take your point. I'll just give you an example. Mm. Do you think um, any nation, the people of any nation, really want to go to a war when the, when the nation goes to war?
1: When, Where the nation? Oh, you see, so the question that you just asked is exactly what I asked my friends when you're talking about war. <laughs> because my point is, if you say a nation is in a
0: war with another nation, it's usually a small group of people. No, but it, it's backed by the nation, by the people of the nation. Say, so, yeah, we should go and kill them. Yeah, we but should. then if, if if a Russian and an American meets at a bar during war, do you think they're going to fight? Not necessarily, but they're <laughs> going to have apprehension of each other. Right. Because of how... Their mind has been twisted exactly. right so it's not about most people having bad or good intention mm. it's about how much the mind have been twisted right okay that is a right good point. so yes you like you know Rousseau, which is a French philosopher that used to say every man is born a good a good person is just society that corrupts him mm-hmm. yeah so that's the problem is that yeah we all have good intentions as individuals in principle yes but I, you can find a good reason for me to get you to change your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And to say, look, we need to take that guy down. But you have good. In- you think you have good intention because, mm-hmm. you know, they've, you've been told there's a good and there's a bad, right? But if I, you know, think of a stupid thing, right? Um, as 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 stupid as it may be, but uh, people who, you know, the terrorists of, of a group are the heroes of another group. Yeah, that is true. Who is bad, who is good. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, some are bad because they're killed. Others don't necessarily kill, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think, and that's where, it, it, you know, it, it's beyond being good or bad. It's the, what I would call the critical sense, right? And what I would call also the, and you know, you have another phenomenon that uh, is called the integral th- theory, mm-hmm. right? Where for decisions, you take into consideration the individual, uh, the group, internal or interior things and external or exterior things, right? And it's the combination of all that that Mm -hmm. really justifies, should or not justify an action. But the way we've been trained to think is very binary. And that's that's the danger. And the problem is also the way our minds can be twisted Right? Mm -hmm. Or how we can be manipulated in one or the other direction. Right? So basically, this is about group thinking. It's about critical thinking.
1: Critical thinking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's much better.
0: Yeah. Hmm. And that's also things that we need to be taught, right? When you see an image on TV, I can make you believe anything. Yes. If you don't
1: have critical thinking, oh, of course, yeah, right. I mean, But that's the majority of people use, obviously, with the TV. There, it's predictable what okay. they can say because okay. of what they've seen. But they're not bad. No, they're not.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> they will say, "Yes, let's go to war."
1: Yeah, you see my point, All right. So, how can you, how can we create a society uh, that is that is high in critical thinking that you know people can think for themselves? You know, obviously, <laughs> there are still going to be biases and things that we can all no. fall prey to. But I think, I
0: think critical thinking should become the very central element within education. That's probably right. what might be the salvation of society and humanity before we end up destroying one another, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and also the whole, the whole integral thinking is like, when I say integral theory is not just about me, right? And that's also what is interesting on blockchain. It's about us. Yes. Right? The capacity, the capability to think us versus I. Right. Right? So move from the ego to the universal is really our responsibility and where I hope blockchain will take people to. Yes. Right? And it's difficult. It's not easy and it takes time. Right? So it's, you know, you you don't want to put a grenade in the the hand of a seven-year-old child or Go. Mm-hmm. That's where you need to prepare that child. Absolutely. To know what's dangerous about the grenade? Yeah. Right. And I think uh, so. Technology without consciousness might be might be very very dangerous. So you share the same fears as say Bill Gates, who thinks that
1: um, I mean, or Elon Musk, who think AI is a, one of the major threats
0: coming up. No, it's the human that is a major threat. Okay. <laughs> <Not> AI. <laughs> AI is AI is who do, who does AI? We do it. Uh-huh. No, but
1: there's a there's a uh, a section that says you know if this technology we're building, we're trying to emulate the human mind or surpass that as much as we can. No, to a point okay. it might. Let
0: me. I don't me. share the same. And it's it's a it's a very powerful point you're making. Mm. Except that I believe it's a necessary evil. Mm. I'll tell you what. AI is taking away from our thought process. I mean, it's taking away from, you know, a, a lot of the burdens from a thought process and activities that we we're doing ourselves and that were taking a lot of time. Mm. And they do it much faster, etc. Like I say, the danger is not AI, is the humans behind AI. Mm-hmm. If you don't give them critical thinking, if you don't make sure they have the right level of consciousness, then there's a danger. Yeah. But if their heart is in the right place, their mind, their soul and the I can that make sure that they give the safeguards to avoid mm-hmm. derivation or or you know, that things get bad, then you have a case. Right? So and think of one thing, to come back to the AI thing. So I was ta- I was saying it takes away from, you know, some functions that you were doing. Hmm. But the great thing it leaves more space for other functions for us. Yes. Right. That become to that may give us that chance to become more spiritual. Yes. All right, That is true. We can right? tap right? In more into more enlightened. Science. You can tap into that l- layer of your brain of your pineal gland and way beyond mm-hmm. that you did never really have a ch- had a chance nor time to do because mm-hmm. you were imprisoned into the processing of stuff yeah. the execution of this and uh, calculation of that if it can stick away all those functions from you and now you can have that chance to kind of become more spiritually enlightened mm-hmm. spend more time on what on your mind and soul versus your brain level yes and that, that that might be a very unique opportunity and one thing that AI may not be able to do, is to reach some level of consciousness. You know, human evolution also follows some key layers of consciousness, yeah. right? I don't know if you've heard about uh, the spiral dynamics. Yes. You've heard about it, yeah. right? So I would say we're at the yellow stage now. Okay. Good. What does that mean? There's a turquoise state of the it, right? Yeah. Okay, so hopefully AI will help us move to turquoise.
1: Yeah. Actually, so it I must be like a matter I'm, of evolution all yeah, the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So speaking now from, I mean, you, from how what I've taken from you when you speak, you know, you speak from a global perspective. Mm-hmm. You present yourself as, as an African, mm-hmm. right, in general. Yeah. Um, and when you think all the things that you have done uh, with uh, Africa 2.0, or you think of Africa as a whole, but then when it comes to about doing the work or how Africa is structured, we still divided into nations, mm-hmm. which I think is still a major challenge when it comes to trade and, you know, economic activities. Yeah, How do you bridge the gap when you're doing projects? Say someone who is trying to put together an, an initiative, has an African perspective, but then he has all these major blocks, borders, and stuff. Okay, How do you uh, approach that?
0: Okay, first of all, you know, to your point, um, I'm a global citizen with Africa at heart. Yes. Right? Okay. That's how it kind of... Uh, a uh, global citizen is just because I've had the chance to. I mean, I'm a human being with African at heart. Maybe mm-hmm. I should put it this way, sure. right? But I'm human first, mm-hmm. okay. And uh, Africa for me is where I come from. And if you don't tidy your home, don't expect to go and and shine everywhere, right? Yes. So, to your question, I think uh, you 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 uh, you had the answer embedded. Mm-hmm. Uh, The point is, with blockchain and internet, borders don't really exist anymore. Right. Right? So, let's take your case. Okay? Mm -hmm. You're from Malawi. You live in South Africa. And you're working on an American on a global project that you've never seen physically, have you? No, I've never even seen the people I'm working with. Okay, cool. (laughs) So, you have your answer. Yes. That's our unique chance. Right. It is our unique chance because we are no more limited by geography and borders.
1: How can you get more Africans to understand this concept? Like someone say in Mozambique, in a mm-hmm. small town, but at least he has internet. How do you make them understand that, hey, opportunities now just doesn't belong uh, into, in, in, in your small city, but now you, you are connected with the rest of the world, opportunities are there, and you, know, you, can, you can be
0: involved in global trade. Okay, In one it, it, way or it's, it's, it starts by, uh, awareness starts with accessibility, mm-hmm. right? So, somehow or another, we need to find a way to make internet accessible to all and least cost possible, if not free. Yes, I
1: would, I would agree with the free. Right, option. so
0: uh, free will be the ultimate game. Internet should be become a right, Yeah. right? The same way as water is a right, Yeah for every human now why because it gives you that chance to connect now it might take a bit of time but you always start with early adapters you're mm-hmm. one of them right mm-hmm. um and uh, many actually are seizing that opportunity the main difference is if you only have money for 30 minutes internet every day mm-hmm. it makes it complicated absolutely complicated. right yeah. um and i think the infrastructure is it's also one of our responsibility to make sure that infrastructure is mm-hmm. in place. So it starts with advocacy, it starts also with uh, with greater collaboration, um, but, um, and I'm, I'm a big believer in success stories, mm-hmm. right? It's like your story needs to be told, mm-hmm. right? Uh, why? Because that's a perfect example, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of started, uh, you know, as a, uh, I wouldn't say a self-made man, but, uh, self-educated person, uh, who also were curious and stuff. And, uh, and now you work with people at global scale that you've never met, Mm -hmm. right? If many more knew that, they would do the same thing. They are good at copying. (laughs) Absolutely. That's why the the stories
1: (laughs) of all these successful entrepreneurs is so appealing to to many people. Because it's like, he's just like me. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, and I think, uh, it starts with the media. Right. I mean, doing the podcast that you do, I think, makes a lot of sense. But also, uh, you you know, I don't know if you have you read The Tipping Point from Malcolm Gladwell?
1: No.
0: You actually should. It's a very interesting book. It's one of the books, actually, that uh, also helped me. Um, even when I was doing Africa 2.0. Um, in, in The Tipping Point, Michael Gladwell explains, you know, the four key factors uh, for... Uh, not movement, but things to get viral, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and in, in epidemiology, the tipping point is that very moment where a small phenomenon becomes a general phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, you have four major elements. You need, you need a maven, right? Uh, you need, a, a, a maven is somebody that is credible um, is some form of authority that when you say something people would trust their word. Um, you need a sticky factor and the sticky factor here would be the success right mm-hmm. of some of them. Um, you need um, somebody who also has a has the right network if I may somebody which is not an evangelist but a catalyst mm-hmm. right. So catalysts today are media people or successful people who can tell their stories, mm-hmm. right? And so there, there are a few other factors. But I think, um, and we don't tell our story enough, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, the media in general will more be focused on, uh, and it's, it's sad, uh, on, you know, politicians doing this, doing that than sh- shifting the interest on, oh, that kid has done this amazing thing and that. And I think there's a mindset shift that needs to happen, yes. right, yeah. because there's this general tendency to centralize the focus at the top of the decision-making in a world where the rulers are, might no longer be the ones in power. Yes. Uh, they will be at the outskirts Designing this technology, these new things. Think of Zuckerberg, mm. right? You know, the guy was, you know, Harvard dropout, and he built like the more one of the most powerful social media network, right, in the, in the world today. So, um, and you, if we if we spend more time, and also our leaders are insisting, even for themselves, instead of people still looking at. How much money has been stolen? If they encourage people to look at the guys who do good so that they have a bit of peace, everybody would <laughs> win. Know? Yeah. But it's just taking a bit of time for them to understand. But uh, I think that's what you need. You need uh, an attention shift towards what actually can uh, can inspire people. All right. And uh, those young developers or not, or people looking at opportunities, and then they end up working at global scale. Right, they don't realize that just by being on LinkedIn, mm. they can reach anyone. Absolutely, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Forget the fact that you live in the in a shithole somewhere. Mm. You have a computer. You go on LinkedIn. If you uh, have a bit of skills on something, you can reach a CEO. Yeah, exactly. Just send him a message. Yeah, right. Um, and we don't we, we underestimate that how the world has become. Borderless
1: and how easy it is to move money, even with things like Bitcoin. Exactly, sorts,
0: it's yeah. you know, we send you money, you don't you know, and no and it's, accounts needed. Yeah, no, do you that. don't need an account, etc. Mm. Can go and cash it. So, all those things, um, it's about awareness. But it always you know, and I think we have. It's very important that quickly in Africa, awareness happens because it's probably the terrain that will face the least hostility. Mm. To blockchain and to tokenization, yes, because it's a place that needs it the most, and that can adopt it the fastest. And you know, the 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 the, the problem of the Western world is uh, indeed the whole regulatory environment and the thing, which is a good thing because it sets a framework, mm-hmm. but which also can limit, you know, a sense growth. of a, yeah, a growth and entrepreneurship. Right? Yes. so. Let's not underestimate the fact that, uh, like the Bible say, you know, the last will be the first. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So, uh, sometimes having a virgin land, you've been crying over it because there's nothing. Yeah. But guess what? The nice thing about a virgin land is it's a land of possibilities. Right. You know, if if most Africans could think of it this way, things would have been different even.
1: But you know, that's where we're going. Yeah. Exactly. Man, thanks so much, Mamadou. I appreciate it. I think we should
0: do this more. Sure, no problem. Yeah, I'm more than happy to, to do the
1: next. Hello, once again, and that was the end of our conversation. And just before you go, just wanna communicate a few things with you uh, quickly. If you have Uh, enjoyed any of the podcasts or this specific podcast episode I would appreciate it if you share it with your friends and family through your social media, Twitter, Facebook etc etc as well as write me a 5 star review on iTunes or Apple podcast app that would be fantastic it helps me flourish and sustain this podcast as well Uh, we also on other platforms like SoundCloud Stitcher Radio um and all other major podcast platforms so whichever way you're listening to it i would appreciate it if you leave me a review you can also subscribe to the graph podcast through my website greyjabesi.com g-r-e-y j-a-b-e-s-i.com there you also find some of the blogs that i'm writing sometimes and you get notified as soon as the new episode has been published until next time enjoy and be productive